Welcome to another inspirational message from the chapel. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information, check out our website, thechapelcollective.com.au. For those who don't know me, my name is Trish. Hi, how you doing? Welcome to the new year. Woo! <laughs> yes, some of us are excited for 2023. I think the edge has come off because like there was 2020 and then we thought 21 would be better. <laughs> 23 is going to be amazing. Um, you, know, you know, it's the season for New Year's resolutions. How's everyone going with that so far? Where, what are we, day eight? So we've had a week. Has anyone like already failed it? <laughs> I have a love-hate relationship with New Year's resolutions. I make them loosely, like I don't sit down and write it all up and set my monthly goals or anything, but I do kind of make them loosely in my head because I want to live my best life, right? I don't want to drift through life and find myself just wherever it took me by default, you know? But I kind of also hate them because I hardly ever achieve them or if I do them, I rarely maintain them. (laughs) That's how it rolls. That's okay. But when I'm not working towards my best life, and what do I mean by that? What's my best life? I mean, doing things that matter to me, um, working towards stuff that's important and that will make a difference to myself or the people around me. It's kind of like curating what my life will sum itself up to be eventually, right? And that means that living my best life can sometimes look like the hard, boring, annoying stuff now so that that buys me something later, right? You know what I mean? Yes, great. So when I'm not living my best life, I find myself frustrated and demotivated. And when I get demotivated, I can give up a little too easily. And that ironically causes my season of frustration and demotivation to last even longer because I end up kind of camping there and I wonder what that costs me in the long run. So I looked up the term give up. Guess I'm kind of there right now. I looked up the term give up in the dictionary and they defined it as to cease making an effort. Okay, that's interesting because it doesn't mean stop everything. It's not like you're running a race and then you stop running and you just sit down. It means that you cease to make an effort. So if you are a runner, giving up might look like just stepping off the speed and relying on your natural ability to kind of coast across the finish line at a jog. It means not pushing to go further. It means choosing to drift, going with whatever comes your way, being reactive instead of proactive. And when I describe giving up in those terms, a few more of us in the room might be feeling like we're doing a little bit of that around some of the things. Like you might be able to say, yeah, if I'm honest, Trish, I've been drifting when it comes to my relationships or I'm not pushing in when it comes to accomplishing my dreams for my career. Or I've not been mindful with making space for spiritual disciplines. And then how many of us would say that we're frustrated by lack of progress in those areas? Oh, (laughs) is that too early in the preach? So I've made that like 0.7, warmed you up a little bit. It hurts, right? (laughs) I need to understand that giving up looks what it looks like because I strongly suspect it's robbing me of some really good things. So let's call it what it is. It is not necessarily the end of something. It's the beginning of the end of the effort we put to something. And that's much more dangerous because that can sneak up on me and it can coexist with me for quite a while before I realise it's there. Yeah? Okay. 
So this is my New Year's resolution inspiration this year. Yes. It is a KFC bucket. Now you might be thinking, that's my inspiration because that's what I need to give up. No. (laughs) That's not it. (laughs) Um, It might seem completely contradictory to all of the New Year's resolutions that I should be making, but the founder of KFC reminded me that I miss something when I give up. Not just that I miss KFC chicken when I give up takeaway food for a minute and a half every January, but rather, Colonel Sanders inspires me because he didn't start KFC until he was 60, after receiving his first social security check. Now, before you get offended, older people in the room, it is not his age that was inspiring. I know lots of people doing amazing things, things that matter, that really matter, well into their retirement years. I am for you. I intend to be you. It's all good. (laughs) What's impressive to me is that that's the season when most people are taught and told you can hang it up now. Cross off the bucket list, fall asleep watching TV, you're all good, right? That's the season. You've earned it. Sit back. Don't worry about anything. Instead, Colonel Sanders works from age 60 to 73 to master his technique and grow his business, and sometimes at the expense of sleeping in his car. It was hard work. He loved it. People loved it. And imagine the tragedy if Colonel Sanders did not get up and make KFC chicken. Would have robbed the world of something that smells amazing, even if you don't like the taste. (laughs) Okay, so obviously this is a flippant little example intended to be memorable so that you get home later today and can remember anything else about the rest of what I'm going to talk about this morning. But what I really want to say is that this time of the year is a great time to reflect on how we're doing and make changes if necessary. You might be rocking it and I'm all for you. To actively curate our lives toward the one God has intended us for, for us to live. But to do that, we need to be aware of the hindrances to our spirit that lead us towards this tendency to give up because the enemy is heavily invested in causing us to slow down and disengage and drift. He is really good at justifying it and making it seem like a good idea. Not only is it unsatisfying to our souls, but it's also dangerous to the kingdom. Imagine all the things that haven't been done because our spirit was tired. I know that my list is long if we let ourselves disengage, and then if I multiply that across history, it's actually quite a sobering thought. So we are left with a decision. Give up or get up. That's the title of the message this morning. If you're making notes, and I know you're all whipping out your phones and stuff to do that right now. In a minute, um, we're going to follow an account of someone who wrestled with this in the face of difficult circumstances, because it actually gives us a pattern to follow that will help us conquer this insidious little habit we have of getting discouraged and backing down. I want you, I want all of you to be equipped to push into all that God has for you and is preparing for your future, all of the good works that he's prepared in advance for you to do. I want you to be reminded at the beginning of the year that you are made to stand up. Yes? to partner with God, to experience the fullness of all that He has to offer. I want you to know that if your spirit is a little low right now, that this isn't your story. And I want to give you tools to restore the health of your soul. Are you with me? Great. Let's pray it in. Father God, 
we thank you so much that you are here right now, that you've actually gone ahead of us, Lord, that you've drawn us into this room. And God, you have prepared um, a message for people to hear that is straight for them today. So please take the bits of my words and, and Holy Spirit, do what only you can do with it. Speak to us, God. Speak to us. We are listening. We are leaning in, Lord God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Jairus and his daughter are key to us understanding the key kinds of hindrances to our spirit. And it's important we recognise them because then we can deal with them. So we meet Jairus in Luke chapter 8, where Jesus is in the thick of a crowd who have heard of his great deeds and they're reaching out to him and they're, they're all wanting their needs met. We pick it up in verse 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and, fell, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Let me pause there. Jairus is a synagogue leader. So he wasn't just a member of the synagogue. He was a leader of the synagogue. And that meant by inference that virtually all his friends and all of his work colleagues hated the thought of Jesus. It's likely that they either feared, despised, envied, or were disgusted by Jesus' words and ministry. That's why it is so shocking for Jairus to do something none of his acquaintances would ever dream of doing. He fell at Jesus' feet, a sign of total submission, and he did it publicly. The first hindrance we see in this account is the hindrance of public opinion. Now, Jairus' first opportunity to give up was right here at the outset. It was that moment where you go, should I even go? Has anyone had that question? <laughs> should I even go to church this morning? He had so many reasons to not show up and seek Jesus out. The cost to him for doing so may have been really high in his community, in his little sphere of influence. But despite the opinion of people he liked and respected, he knew that Jesus was the only one who could help him. And the cost of not going that extra mile would be his daughter's life. The cost would be far too high. And in that context, Jairus chose to get up and go appeal to Jesus. My question to you is, where in your life, are you worrying about people's opinion? And my follow-up question to you would be, what will that ultimately cost you? Have you ever found yourself holding back on spiritual matters because people might find it strange or your parents wouldn't understand or your friends would tease you about it? Is there someone that you should have invited to church already? Is there a way that you need to follow Jesus publicly that you've held back on because of people? people that you like and respect. Jairus understood that some things were so important that people's opinions faded into the background in light of it. Where is that line for you? And will you choose to give up? Remember the definition in this case, that might just look like pulling back. Or will you get up and do something about it? So at this point, Jesus has heard Jairus, he's responded to him, he's started following him back to his sick little girl, and then wham, the very next verse, we see Jesus be touched by the woman with the issue of blood. Jesus' attention is drawn elsewhere, and while he is healing and interacting with this other woman who has been bleeding for 12 years, 
Jairus receives a message from his family that his daughter has died and now it's too late. Imagine, like you actually had Jesus coming back with you to heal your daughter and someone else got in the queue and his daughter dies? Like, how would you feel? Am I the only one who would be like, what? I feel like Jairus would be like, why did this woman have to touch Jesus now? Let her touch him tomorrow. My daughter's dying. She's waited 12 years. She can wait another day, right? So there's a few things going on here for Jairus. There's a frustration of delay and there's the frustration of distraction. How many times have you sought God on something and there seems to have been an interminable delay in his response to you? Well, I would argue in this account that Jesus did respond immediately. He heard Jairus' request immediately. The outcome Jairus was asking for was delayed. And that's an important distinction. We see it time and again in Scripture. Isaiah 65, 24 tells us, Before they call, I will answer, God says. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. God hears you. God hears you. He pays attention to you. He knows what you need. He has your best in mind. But the outcome we are looking for can sometimes be delayed. That's different. He hears you. You are heard. Now, if that's you, you're not alone in that. So my encouragement to you is hold on. Don't give up. Habakkuk 2 verse 3 says, For the vision is yet for the appointed future time. It hurries towards the goal of fulfilment. It will not fail. Even though it delays, wait patiently for it. It will certainly come. Your answer is coming. Don't give up. Don't give up. Don't pull back. The enemy often also uses the strategy of distraction with us, right? And there's a hundred ways I could preach that. You know what the distractions are for your life. But as, and, and it's important that I say here right now, as you'll see in a moment, as we read in the text in the rest of the passage, Jesus can handle both issues at once. This isn't about Jesus being distracted or limited in any way. It's about us. In this account, it's like the enemy is saying, oh, Jairus, you lent into Jesus. Cool, cool. Let me distract you with bad news. Let me get you to focus on what others are receiving around you. Let me just cause you to think that you don't matter in the scheme of things or that others matter more than you. It is a flat out lie of the enemy. Nothing matters more than you. Nothing matters more than you. He created each one of us and loves each one of us as his very own. We all matter to him, our big stuff and our little stuff. Matthew 10 says, what's the price of a pet canary? A little tiny bird, some loose change, right? And God cares what happens to it even more than you do. He pays even greater attention to you down to the last detail, even numbering the hairs on your head. So don't be intimidated by all this talk. You're worth more than a million canaries. Let me get real. It is not helpful to think that someone else is getting more of God's attention than you are. It actually leads to bitterness and jealousy. It leads you to pulling away from both God, but also the person getting blessed. We are all his favourite. How fun is that? So celebrate when someone else gets an answer to prayer, even if it's the answer that you've been stinking waiting for. 
<laughs> That's the heart of someone who is leaning into how Jesus would do it. That's letting the Holy Spirit guide our response. And that, you know, will bear really healthy fruit one day. It will cost you to stand up, but it will cost you a lot less than giving up. For Jairus, the distraction obviously was a potential hindrance to his faith, but it also might have served as a strength for his faith because he saw Jesus' power heal this needy woman. She had been 12 years in her affliction, the exact same number of years that Jairus' daughter had lived. I love this symbolism in the Bible. Isn't it cool? In effect, Jesus might have been showing off and saying, hey, what I can do for her, I can do for you. So take heart when you see other people's prayers answered. Let it build your faith and become something that you can stand on and claim for yourself. Amen? All right, verse 49. While Jesus was still speaking to the woman with the issue of blood, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. The final hindrance I want to bring to your attention today is this voice this well-meaning voice that says, oh, don't bother. Don't bother the teacher with that anymore. Don't bother. Is that not the definition of giving up? And you know what? He had every right at that point. He just got told his daughter died. No one would have blamed him if he went home. He had full permission to pull back and walk away. But in that moment, don't bother the teacher anymore. Those words are just said. And then hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, what? Hey, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. He's like busy with some other situation. He hears this, swings around. No, 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 no. Don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. I love that his attention is just like snapped back the second that happened. The second these words of defeat were uttered, Jesus swings around and says, do not be afraid. Before doubt, anger or grief found a voice, Jesus was already planting divine instruction. Do not fear, only believe. There will be a voice if you live long enough that tells you that your dream is already dead. That job is out of your reach. That hope is wasted. That relationship is past fixing. That you don't have the skill set or the confidence to get something done. That what you want won't work or that you will never have dot, dot, dot. Blankety blank. Well, you know what? That's all right. So there's a voice. My God has resurrection power. And sometimes we find ourselves in positions where if God doesn't do it, it can't be done. Well, that's all right, because my God has resurrection power. Do not fear, only believe. Hey, let's stop diluting our prayer requests with fear and anxiety and doubt and insecurity and frustration and silence. Let's make some room for some belief. Verse 51, when he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John and James and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She's not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned. 
and at once she stood up. Get up. It's actually the only alternative to giving up. When we pull back, we hurt ourselves, we miss something. But when that little girl got up, her spirit returned to her. Her spirit returned to her. She got her fight back. She got her vulnerability back. She got her breath back. What has giving up stripped you off? What has it numbed in you? What if getting up returned your spirit to you? What would belief bring back to you? What would it restore in you? You know what? Some of you are going to change bloodlines with your belief. Do you know that? Think about that. Some of you will change bloodlines with your belief. Generational things will end with you because you choose not to listen to the voice that says, don't bother the teacher with that. Some of the hardest times to find belief and trust God is when you think it's over, like Jairus, or when you're in pain, right? If you're in pain, Let's look to Jesus' last words. He says in Luke 23, 46, actually he doesn't say, he shouts. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. Now our spirit can be crushed and compromised by a lot of things. And when I say our spirit here, I mean, you know, mind, body, spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit I'm talking about. The Holy Spirit is strong, can't get crushed, right? I'm saying that spiritual part of our being, can be a little bruised and crushed and compromised sometimes. But to get up, we actually need to trust that spirit to one person. When Jesus is dying on the cross in the most pain you can imagine, he makes this declaration. And it isn't whispered weakly like a dying man. It is screamed out loud. When you are in pain, you might need to find your grit and get it out, but entrust your spirit into his hands. Because you know what? His hands are big enough to bless you. His hands are safe, you guys. His hands are big enough to bless you. Isaiah 62.3, you will also be considered a crown of glory and splendour in the hand of the Lord. When you're in God's hands... You are a royal diadem, exceedingly beautiful in the hand of your God. Because his hands are big enough to bless you. His hands are strong enough to keep you. John 10 verse 28 says, And I give them eternal life and they will never ever by any means perish. And no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater and mightier than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. His hands are strong enough to keep you. And his hands are scarred so he cannot forget you. Isaiah 49 says, I will not forget you. Indeed, I have inscribed a picture of you on the palms of my hands. Your city walls, Zion, are continually before me. In Jewish tradition, there's a story representing Israel as God's daughter who asks him to seal, um, to stamp a seal of her on his heart and his arm. But God replies, no, no, that kind of seal can't always be seen. So he's instead inscribed her upon his palms. You are always before him. 
You are always before Him. He did that on the cross for you and I. You are not forgotten, you are held. You are not ignored, you are heard. Whenever, whatever you give to God, you can entrust Him to take care of it because He is a trustworthy God. In light of that, don't pull back, don't give up, go home, chat to God about the areas of your life that you have laid down and and gave up on just a little and ask Him to show you where you need to stand up and get your spirit back. Don't worry about New Year's resolutions so much. Do this. God, what work do you need to do in me? What have I stepped away from that you want me to push into? Let me leave you with um, Psalm 33, verses 6 to 22, because it reminds me that God is trustworthy and that I am held securely in His hands. David says it far better than I can, so I'm going to let him speak. (laughs) The Lord merely spoke and the heavens were created. He breathed the word and all the stars were born. He assigned the sea its boundaries and locked the oceans in vast reservoirs. Let the whole world fear the Lord and let everyone stand in awe of him. For when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. The Lord frustrates the plans of the nations, thwarts all their schemes, but the Lord's plans stand firm forever. His intentions can never be shaken. What joy for the nation whose God is the Lord, whose people he has chosen as his inheritance. The Lord looks down from heaven and sees the whole human race. From his throne, he observes all who live on the earth. He made their hearts so he understands everything they do. The best equipped army cannot save a king, nor is great strength enough to save a warrior. Don't count on your war horse to give you victory for all its strength, it cannot save you. But the Lord watches over those who fear Him, those who rely on His unfailing love. He rescues them from death and keeps them alive in times of famine. We put our hope in the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him, our hearts rejoice for we trust in His holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in You alone. It's a statement of faith right there. If you need it, Psalm 33, go dog tag it when you go home and put it into your soul. You know what? Sometimes we need a little bit of help to stand up, right? It's not as easy as just, oh, just get up. (laughs) I know. I know that. But if we can identify what's pulling us down and go, actually, not today. (laughs) It's helpful. It's helpful to restore our belief and our faith in the things that are actually pulling us away. So let the bucket remind you that giving up will often mean missing out. You can take that two ways. You can take it as like Colonel Sanders, if he never. But you can also take it as if you decided to not eat this anymore, you will be missing out. (laughs) Um, And there may be times and seasons when people tell you it's fine to just settle. So let the bucket remind you of that. But let these passages of Scripture remind you that the key to getting up, the antidote to giving up, is to entrust your spirit into His hands. Don't let people's opinions dissuade you. Don't let delay or distraction dissuade you. And don't ever listen to that voice that says, don't bother the teacher with that. And trust your spirit into His hands. That's how we get up. That's how we get up. Amen. I'm going to get you to stand up. Let's do it.
physically stand up. Father God, we just thank You so much that You don't leave us to our fate. We don't drift through life. We haven't just born us and set us out there to just be devoured by the world. But God, You you know the very hair on our head. You know us intimately, God. You know the why behind everything You do. God, You have a plan and a purpose for us. You've prepared good things for us. God, lead us into those things. Do not let us fall into the trap, God, of pulling back, of not being bothered, of of not thinking that You are our best and most powerful ally in everything that we need, want and do. God, we come back to You. The beginning of this year, just talk to us, God. What is it that You want us to step into again? What is, is it that You want us to bring before Your throne again, Lord God, that we've kind of got a little tired of bringing there? Father, Holy Spirit, stir within us what we need to engage with You and and live a healthy, flourishing life that bears fruit in Your Name and on Your behalf. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring your faith or a follower of Jesus, there's a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to thechapelcollective.com.au And thanks again for listening.